this was a team I thought that our fan base could really get behind and be proud of. Welcome into the Scarlet Shootaround podcast, following the beat of Husker basketball. Here are your hosts, Blake and Mike. Nebraska exercises their road demons in an 85 to 70 win at Assembly Hall. Hello, everybody, and welcome in again to the Scarlet Shootaround podcast. My name is Blake here with co-host Mike. And Mike, we finally no longer have to hear about our road record 30 times a game. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe they'll just mention how we've only won one Big Ten road game from here on out. But uh, yeah, no, obviously a big win. Big, big win. Finally got the demon exercised. Got rid of that last little bugaboo that we had on our resume. And uh, now we're looking pretty good. And I know uh, the fans are excited. I know the metrics loved it. And uh, just loving, loving where the team's sitting right now. I feel like they're playing some of their best ball of the year, honestly. And stars were a plenty in this one as we had multiple scores in double digits, uh, four total with Tominaga going for 20. But before we get to that, Fred Hoiberg was oh so happy about the performance of Nebraska finally getting over that road win hump. You know, our guys have done a good job. We had two great days of prep after uh, after the off day, after the Penn State game. And we had uh, a really sharp shoot around today. And I knew the guys were locked in. And uh, they went out and responded with a great effort. The energy early in this game was exactly where it needed to be. And that, and that uh, really helped set the tone for, for our guys. It, it, listen, it, this was this was huge. We, we needed to get a, a big road win. And give Indiana credit. Those guys kept fighting. Um, we've got a lot of talent on that team, length. Uh, they pose a lot of problems, but you know, again, I love the composure our guys showed, and, and you know, fun to celebrate it with them in the locker room. And Fred Hoiberg made no secret of it, Mike. The Huskers needed to get a big road win, and it's finally, finally on the resume. Yeah, finally have one. I can only imagine the relief for the coaches, the team, you know, everybody involved. Because I know the relief that I have as a fan that, you know, like you, you too, I'm sure very relieved. I'm sure all our listeners uh, extremely relieved to finally have one under our belt. No, no longer have to worry about, you know, come Selection Sunday if we don't have a road win. What does that mean for our chances? All this stuff. We got one. We've proved we can do it um, in pretty convincing fashion to, you know, 15 point win going away with it, honestly. Uh, I think it proves to to us that, you know, we're this is the team we always knew we are and we can do the same thing we do at home on the road. And I can tell you, I've been looking forward to do a lot of podcasts this year, most specifically the Purdue episode, uh, or post-Purdue rather, so the Iowa episode, I think it was, the um, obviously the Wisconsin episode, the post-game was very fun. But this one, Mike, this one's like therapeutic in a way. Like this one is just, not just a relief, but it's just pure absolute bliss and joy. It's like, I don't know, if you if you feel like you need to like crack your neck or like crack your back like all day, it's just kind of sore, it's been nagging you and you finally get it and just the wave of relief, that's that's really what it is. It's not I mean, I'm happy we won, obviously. I'm really happy we won. But it's not like the pure unadulterated joy. It's just very relieving. You know, I think I think that's the word. It's just very very much just a relief to to have one done uh and show that we can do it. And Mike, a huge relief for Nebraska uh, basketball fans everywhere is Jamarcus Lawrence's performance, who went for 19, 6, and 5. That's right, 19, 6, and 5 for Jamarcus Lawrence off the bench, going 6 of 8 from the field, goes 5 for 5 from beyond the arc. And Mike, going back even through last year, this has got to be the best game of his Husker career. He just plays so much, so much more free in his new role. Fred Hoiberg had a quote to share in the postgame press conference regarding Jamarcus Lawrence's play. Uh, you know, the thing I'm really proud of Jamarcus, he, he's been putting so much time and work into his shot. And, you know, getting in the gym, he's always one of the first ones in there, and he's always coming back for an extra session. And to see that pay off with a five for five night from three and big ones that, you know, really helped us keep that thing at double digits. And that's one thing I'm really proud of him, not only the 19 points, but the five assists, one turnover. And, uh, you know, it's just it's fun to see, you know, when a guy's putting the work in. Uh, it it, it paid pay off for him, and that's what's going on with Jamarcus right now. This is three really good games in a row for him. And, Mike, that's it's such an amazingly fun development. And Fred mentioned not just the stat line of 19 points, six rebounds, five assists, obviously fantastic, but only one turnover as well. Yeah, that's what that's kind of what stood out to me. You know, we talked all season how, you know, um, you know, obviously point guard's not his true position, and here coming off the bench, he's not really playing that primary ball handler position, more of the off guard. 
and is he just looks way more confident doing it and it's helped his assist numbers even you know his pass to gary kind of no look just flung it into him for an easy bucket there in the second half like i haven't seen anything like that all season but a five to one assist to turnover ratio i mean you'll take that any any day of the week but beyond that you know six rebounds we talked about it in the last couple episodes now the way the guards have been getting in and helping the bigs as far as rebounding the huskers did lose the rebounding battle by three in this game but six rebounds from Jamarcus Lawrence, three from Kese Tominaga, uh, you know, six from Bryce Williams, who's playing, you know, the primary ball handler position now. The, the way the guards have all contributed to it and Jamarcus coming in off the bench and giving us six more, just massive. What an amazing game from him. Couldn't be happier. Obviously, he's had a little bit of a rough season, but to see him come out and ball out like this, you know, 19 points, we're ending up winning by 15. So we needed every one of them from him. Uh, and it, it helped a lot, helped a lot to to see him, you know, hopefully he can keep stroking it from deep like he did this game. Tomonaga, you mentioned, went for 20 points, three rebounds, three assists, going eight of 15 from the field, four of nine from deep. He really led the charge, Mike, in the first half where he scored 18 of his 20 points. And I think he's probably the only guy in the country that has the green light on a fast break step back three. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those shots where you go, what are you doing? What are you doing? Terrible shot. And then he goes in. He said, oh, that's a great shot. Yeah, I a little fade away in the right corner, stepping back as a left-handed shooter. Kind of, I feel like that might be a little awkward, but he made it look pretty good. And yeah, one of the few guys that probably has the green light. Obviously, um, you know, I think they put Trey Galloway on him in the second half and he was, you know, giving him the classic treatment that we're used to seeing with KSA. He's getting his jersey tugged and, and really up in him, but the fact that he had 18 uh, in the first half and they had to spend so much energy to focus on him in the second half, I think that really opened up, uh, you know, the opportunities for Jamarcus and, and Bryce Williams had a great second half as well. So even when he's not scoring, just his gravity out there on the floor and what he commands from the defense really helps everybody. Bryce Williams, as you mentioned, went for 18, 6, and 2, going 6 of 10 from the field, 2 of 6 from deep. He's really just a silent assassin, Mike, and that block at the end of the game really sealed the deal for this one. Yeah, that I mean, I, that's a highlight play. I, I don't want to say that's the only highlight play for Bryce Williams. He's as he, he does everything really, you know, free throws four for four. Love to see that from him. But yeah, just a quiet, you know, efficient six for 10 from the field, you know, 18 points. Seems like he does it night in, night out almost. You can just mark him down for double digit points. And, you know, it's back in that six, seven rebound range, which is where we love to see him. The assist numbers aren't really there, which is kind of surprising as kind of being our primary ball handler. But I feel like a lot of those assists, we work at the ball through a mast a lot. So it's not too, too surprising. Uh, but great game from Bryce. You know, as you mentioned, kind of the quiet killer comes in and does the job and, and keeps a level head the whole time. And I love to see it. Tough game for Mast as he went for two, four and three, going one of five from the field and missing both of his two three point attempts. The most surprising stat line of the night, probably, I think, based on what we probably projected. It was a tough offensive matchup for him with wear and and renew down low. So obviously a bit out physical there for him. But, you know, him having two points, you're going to have to have somebody step up, Mike. And Juwan Gary, just the the guy, the a lunch pail guy on this team that does not get talked about enough. Goes for 15, 6, and 1, 6 of 12 from the field, 2 of 4 from deep. Hit a couple big threes that helped extend the lead early there in the first half, which allowed uh, other sets and actions to open up. Another great rebounding night. You just cannot say enough about the guy. And I seriously don't think he gets enough credit for his contributions. He really does just do it all. Defensive end, offensive end. I think the biggest thing we talked pregame about, you know, Renew had been in foul trouble. They're both their big guys, frankly, had been in kind of a little bit of foul trouble. And if we could draw fouls and get him into foul trouble, he drew five fouls, Juwan Gary did, working inside. And I think that helped a lot. You know, it's going to cut into the minutes that, uh, the big guys for Indiana wanted to to have in this game. So the fact that he's able to draw those fouls and, you know, one for five from the line isn't great. We'd love to love to see that number get up a little bit, but he ended six for 12, you know, 15 points. And as I, as always, his rebounding is just such a big benefit to this team. It, if you go back and look at those games, you know, those three games when he was out, it's a night and day difference for this team, just not even on the rebounding side, but just all around defense, offense, rebounding. He brings everything to the table, really. Then you got to talk about the bench guys, Mike. Alec, what a fantastic game for him, going for seven points, six rebounds, and four assists. Three of seven from the field, hits one of his three three-point attempts. Shows that he can still make a three in this one. I think they said on broadcast it was his eighth three of the year. I did not fact check that. But again, you know, it's a fantastic night for him all around. Six rebounds and four assists. You take that every single day of the week from him. And Sam Hoiberg going for two, two, and one on zero field goals attempted. But Mike, what makes that so unbelievable is he was tied for the team high in plus minus with plus 17 without even shooting a shot 
from the field. That is absolutely unheard of. It's actually a crazy stat when you think about it. Yeah, he didn't even attempt a single shot. So you kind of wonder what he's bringing to the floor, but you just, it's all in the defensive end. The way he just locks up, he's always in the right spot. Big steal there to kind of ice the game at the end of the game when he was really just up in, up in Indiana's, you know, grill, just up in um got, got to rip the ball away and ended the game there. So that's, that's what we're used to seeing though. And the, the two rebounds, as I had mentioned, you know, any rebounding you're getting from the guards is a big boon. So um, just a classic Sam Hoiberg performance, I guess, you know, he's going to get a couple, couple of shots at the line and, and play defense. And that's what he does. And he does it pretty damn well. And Mike, something regarding this team that I think, again, doesn't get enough coverage because you get almost get used to it in a way. This team's free throw shooting has been absolutely unbelievable and a huge quiet strength for the Huskers. Gary had a tough night going one of five from the line, but you feel confident any time that we are shooting free throws. And as a revisionist history type of guy uh, here, going to go down some old stats. This year, we are 47th nationally when I wrote all this down this morning uh, in free throw percentage. But in 2023, just think about this. 352nd nationally last year, 280th nationally in 2022, 330th nationally in 2021, 351st nationally in 2020. The 75.7% or free throw shooting percentage that this team has is the best we've had out of the Huskers since the 2011-2012 season. Unbelievable effort from the line all year from these guys. It's such a relief to not have to just assume we're going to miss one every time we step up to the line. I mean, yeah, you're talking about these last handful of seasons. We're in the 300 range, 350. There's what, 360 something, 362, 363, something like that total teams in the country. So we're talking bottom of the barrel. I would have been happy being 150th, just average. I would, I would happy be an average, but being in the top 100, you know, the way these guys are doing it from the line. Yeah. If anybody's getting fouled, I'm feeling confident they're going to step, walk up there uh, and knock them down. You know, if it's Bryce Williams, I know that you had, you know, shared a fun stat that Casey Tominaga is currently leading the big 10 and free throw percentage. Uh, you know, I think minimum 30 attempts or something like that. So just, just absolutely crazy. You love to see it. It's so nice to get those free points and not have to work so hard every time. You know, if you can just draw a foul and get to the line and get a, a couple a couple of points, it helps so much, especially when the offense kind of breaks down a little bit and you get into a bit of a slog. And Mike, the defense in this one we haven't talked much about, but it was fantastic outside of that four to eight minute stretch there in the start of the second half. And per the scouting report that we released prior to the game in the prior episode to Indiana in the Indiana preview, uh, Indiana struggles from deep. We noted that and we were proven correct as they shot 19%. From beyond the arc, the Huskers defense looked great all night in defending the three and Indiana's bigs, as we obviously knew they were going to, had 54 of their 70 total points. The guards only scored 16 points for the Hoosiers as a team. And very sneakily, we did a very good job on Kalel where in terms of getting him to the free throw line, we didn't give him any or, you know, we limited, I should say, his easy buckets and it worked out perfectly. He went five of 13 from the stripe. There were a handful of times in that game where he got the ball right around the hoop and he's going up. And, you know, I think Bryce Williams did it once or twice. He goes up and he hacks him and it's a, it's a hard foul and he's making sure he doesn't make the shot and make him earn it at the free throw line. Like we were talking about the Huskers, it's so relieving to to know your guys are going to knock him down. Well, Indiana's not a very good free throw shooting team. So if they're going to get those easy inside looks, make them earn it. And they weren't able to convert on those. You know, I think that was a big part of the game. They shot 58% from the free throw line this game. So a massive difference there. And I think, like you mentioned, we did a really good job, especially with Ware sending him to the line a lot, you know, 13 total free throw attempts, only making five. That's, that's really, really a big benefit for the Huskers. And Mike, at the end of the day, the double buy now with Penn state beating uh, Illinois and us taking care of Indiana with our remaining schedule, the double buy in the big 10 tournament is fully in play. As we sit here during recording, we're a half game behind Northwestern. We are tied with Michigan state one game behind Wisconsin and a game and a half behind Illinois. There's tons of tiebreaker scenarios and how this thing can all end up. But if we get to 12 and eight in my mind in the conference, there's a great shot at uh, getting into that double by using the tiebreakers. Yeah, it should be noted. Yeah, we have the tiebreakers over Wisconsin and Michigan State, right? So actually, I guess maybe not Wisconsin. We're definitely over Michigan State. We have the tiebreaker over Michigan State. So if it comes down to that, that's huge for us. I, I think... Before the season, if you told me we're contending for a double buy, I would have been happy with a single buy. <laughs> so the fact that we can talk about this late February, talking about a double buy, uh, depending on how the Huskers close out the season, just goes to show what a what a great year we've had so far. Couldn't be happier. 
historic season, as we've said multiple times on this on this podcast. And the Huskers have a huge benefit in the second tiebreaker uh, in a Wisconsin scenario where you look at a situation where we uh, we won at home and they won at home. The second tiebreaker in the Big Ten standings is uh, goes to win percentage versus the number one seed. Nebraska beat Purdue. The only other team to beat Purdue in conference is Northwestern. So we will hold that second tiebreaker as it sits right now over every other team in the conference. So that obviously plays to our huge benefit, assuming Purdue wins the conference, which I believe is very, very highly likely at this point. But Mike, this Minnesota game needs to be treated like the Super Bowl here this weekend. This is a revenge game, a momentum game, a resume game. It checks every single box. PBA needs to make this an unwinnable atmosphere for Minnesota. Fans need to get there early, have some drinks, stand up and be loud. And let's get Sandstorm played again. I don't know what happened here, but we got to have Sandstorm this weekend. I think I think if we have a Sandstorm moment this weekend, the roof might blow off PBA because... As you mentioned, I think the weather is going to be great. It's like a 530 tip. There's no excuses for for it not to be a packed, rowdy environment. Uh, and I have, you know, I have faith that the Husker faithful will show up and do it. Uh, they've done it a long time when we weren't very good. They've been doing it all year this year. And I think, um, you know, ask them to do it again here uh, for a revenge game, as you mentioned, against Minnesota. Is not too much to ask? I'm looking forward to seeing what the environment's like. So there should be a big game this weekend. We have shared our thoughts on the game. Let's hear from those on Twitter. So Husker fans, let's hear from you. But before we get into that, Mike, I believe you have a sponsor to share. Sure do. This segment is brought to you by Tax and Business Consultants. Tax time is here, so trust the team that has been taking stress out of taxes since 1961. Tax and Business, your one-stop shop for all things tax, bookkeeping, and payroll. Their offices are located in Blair, Columbus, and Lyons, so give them a call at 402 402- 426-4144 or visit their website at www.tbc.tax that is t as in tomanaga b as in bryce williams and c as in cj wilcher.tax once again that phone number is 402-426-4144 so give them a call and go big red as we always talk about, want to thank everybody over at Tax and Business Consultants. Guys, tax season is coming up on us very rapidly. If you need to get your personal tax return, your corporate tax return taken care of, make sure you reach out to uh, to everybody over at Tax and Business Consultants to get sh- to make sure you are taking care of this tax season. Okay, let's get into it, Mike. Let's start off with Alpine Addiction, who says there are basketball fans in Nebraska that rediscovered their faith tonight. Bob Rezac says, great win, but we're not done yet. Team is peaking at the right time. We didn't fold last night like we have in the past. Let's keep this thing rolling. And Huskers Oracle says, now that this win is in the books, I'm glad we had to overcome some adversity in the second half on the road. That will serve us well in the last few road games, Big Ten Tourney and NCAA. And Mike, you know, it's nice to see us as opposed to the Illinois performance, get on the road, get punched in the mouth, and then end up coming all the way back to force overtime in that one. This one had a different script in that in regulation, they almost came back from a 22-point deficit. Okay, we kept the lead the entire time. It was a wire-to-wire win, but the Huskers proved this time that they could get it done facing adversity. What do you take away from this? Yeah, I mean, I, I you know some of the people are saying they're happy that we we had to face some adversity, and I think I don't know if I buy into that too much to be honest. I think this team's already faced plenty of adversity this season. You know, you look at multiple times that they've come back, or like even the Wisconsin game. You know, being down a huge amount at half, and they're able to come back. Obviously, that's at home, and we're talking about a road game here, so there's a bit of a difference there, but. I think the way that this team has performed on the road is you talk about the Illinois game, obviously right there with a chance to win it. I think that they've played well enough on the road. I think the team knows who they are. Uh, that for for me as a fan, and I think probably for the team, I don't know if they needed to face adversity on the road to know they could you know pull it out. They've been right there to you know in plenty of games on the road to tr- to try to get that monkey off their back. Finally, this game they did in a fifteen point win. So I guess for me. I don't see any difference between leading by 10 points at minimum the whole game and winning by 20 or having to fight off a comeback and, you know, the lead got down to three and suddenly, you know, go on a run to answer and end up by winning by 15. Uh, for me personally, I'd prefer the the, the former. Uh, it saved my heart a little bit of stress. I'm sure a lot of fans out there feel the same. So uh, I, I don't know if we needed the adversity. I think this team's already seen plenty of it this season, but I'm just happy they uh, they handled it and, you know, got a big win on the road. Jeremiah Luber says, it's better for this team to win the way they did tonight. We squandered a huge lead and had to face the possibility of another here-we-go-again humiliating loss right in the face and answered with a 26-14 to run to end the game. We grew up and overcame tonight. Really proud of the team. And Kaka Tweets says, we could argue that every road loss this season was a mental gap rather than a talent one. It makes me worry that finally getting a road win won't be enough to get us going. We need different 
We need a different mentality, not just momentum. Tonight is the exception to our season. And Mike, kind of parlaying off what you just came off of, uh, maybe not all adversity is a good thing necessarily. You might be showing clinks in the armor, but do you think that this road win will propel us to having a better shot at Ohio State, or do you not buy into that theory? I don't. I don't know if it necessarily uh, makes them, you know, gives them a better shot. I think the Huskers. I where I'm sitting, you know, I think at this point in the season, the team is who they are, right? I I know, and I've believed this whole season that they're good enough to win on the road. I'm sure the team knows that and has felt that. As I mentioned, they were in plenty of games on the road with a chance to win. Unfortunate they weren't able to pull one out until, you know, this Indiana game. But, you know, from a team mentality standpoint, I don't think that they needed this to prove to themselves anything. Obviously, it's nice to to get it, you know, the monkey off your back and everything. But I think they're going to come out and play just as hot as they would otherwise. I, I would hope so, at least, and still come out strong. So, I don't know if it necessarily gives them a better shot at Ohio State. I think, you know, this team is playing really, really well, maybe the best they have all season. Now that this, you know, new starting lineup has kind of gelled a bit and the bench guys are getting amazing minutes and doing doing their job. Everybody's doing their job really well. I think they're getting real hot at the right time. And, uh, you know, if there's a time to go on a run to end the season, this would be it because they're playing really well and the schedule, you know, sets up favorably, to be honest. Kyle Quinn says, who's your daddy? That run at the beginning of the second half brought back terrible flashbacks from Minneapolis and quite literally put my girlfriend to sleep. Nice to see this team take a punch on the road and be resilient enough to pull out a win on the road. And Dan Cunningham says, double-digit win will help the metrics. It's nice. We have so many guys that can get it done. Tobinaga and Gary in the first half, Lawrence and Williams in the second. And Mike, I replied to somebody on Twitter when they mentioned this. Other teams' defenses have to have such huge problems game planning for our offense because it doesn't matter what source of scoring you take away from us. There are so many other guys that can hurt you. And Lawrence just added himself to that uh, group of people tonight. I, I can't imagine trying to game plan against the Huskers and figure out what you're trying to do and then have to make, you know, halftime adjustments. And the Huskers went the exact opposite way. Yeah, Tominaga had 18 in the first half. You know, maybe they're focusing and keying in on him in the second half. But we're going to have two more guys just go off. And, and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter then. So. Super, super nightmare as as an opposing coach to try to game plan around this team. I, I, I'll keep saying it. They just got to get to 70 every game and play defense and hold hold the other team to under 70. And it you know, held true here. Indiana ended up with 70. So that's, that's my takeaway is the Huskers have enough guys, enough shooting to always score. It, if, they, if they're going to win, it comes down to how they perform on defense, honestly. Matt Buescher says, I wasn't able to watch the first half. I watched the first eight minutes of the second half and Indiana cut the lead to three. I stopped watching for the rest of the game. Minus 17 with me watching and plus 32 with me not watching. <laughs> Hashtag for the skirts. So God, I appreciate it, Matt. Thank you for turning the game off. We really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and Jackson Cortina says, big win, led the whole way, weathered the huge Indiana run where we have crumbled before and Lawrence stepping up when we absolutely needed him, just feel like we got a massive weight off our shoulders. And Fred talked about this in the post-game press conference a little bit, but Mike, I really, really, really do believe that after this Indiana win and going through the same thing that we saw with Minnesota, with Rutgers, with Illinois, that they finally flipped the script on that. I think this can only help the team going forward in a certain extent. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a weight off their shoulders, I'm sure. And, you know, I just hope that they, they don't take it for granted now, right? That they, they can win on the road so they don't have to, give the effort that they need. And I, I'm not too worried about that. I think the the coaches and the team are in the right headspace for the remaining of the schedule. You know, they only got two more road games with Ohio State and Michigan. So, uh, you know, if they could win one of those two, hopefully they could win both of them. Uh, that'd be great. And I, I, I pretty confident. I feel pretty confident saying they'll win at least one. But yeah, I agree. You know, I think this can only help the team. I think they're they're in the right headspace. You know, it's nice to prove you can do it on the road, especially when we're talking about, you know, Big Ten conference tournament obviously that's not going to be at pba it'll be a neutral crowd but prove you can do it away from home i think is going to help them here down the stretch definitely big time and i think really now going into columbus i think the team's going to have a whole different mentality as opposed to having this huge weight of guys we've got to win this game now it's like hey guys we can win this game let's go win this game and i think that is really going to help this team as they head to columbus Ken Peterson says this team must stop letting any team they play go on a 20 to three run against them when they have a lead, be it huge or small. They need to learn to not give up any lead. Obviously ideal situation there, but thankfully the Huskers held serve and made sure to get it done following that 20 to three run. 
And Patrick Schmidt says, Lawrence and Kese playing peak levels gives us such a strong five. And then Sammy CJ off the bench is so, so elite. And Mike, I'm going to pose you something. Is this one of the best Husker benches that you have ever seen as a Husker fan? I mean, I think it's got to be right up there. We've talked about the depth of this team all season. And obviously pieces have come and gone. We've kind of rearranged things. But this like top eight, nine guys that get minutes, you know, Eli Rice hasn't been getting minutes since, you know, he hurt his ankle a couple weeks ago, it seems like. So before that, he was given good minutes. So we're talking about eight, nine quality guys that give you great minutes. We got multiple guys that, you know, you talk about Jamarcus Lawrence or CJ Wilcher, multiple guys that have been starters. Now they're coming off the bench. You know, you talk about a Josiah Alec who was coming off the bench and now he's a starter. Jawan Gary's kind of been in and out. Yeah, we got eight starters in my mind. I think any one of those guys could start, and that just that's just proof to how good this bench is, how deep this team is. And it's just proof in this game, especially. If you look at bench points, Huskers outscored Indiana 23 to 8 on the bench. That's the entire game right there, right? That's a 15-point difference. It's it's just incredible what this bench brings to this team and how much more deadly it makes this team uh, to be able to win games that, you know, prior you don't think you could if, you know, one of your starters only ends up with two points, another one only has seven points. In some other Husker teams, that would be a death sentence. But with this team, we have enough scores. We got guys that come off the bench that can do it. We can win with multiple guys not performing and not putting up as many points as we're used to. John McCarter says, huge win, can't be overstated. This is a huge resume builder. And DPB the Just says, we needed this one because we are the epitome of a bubble team. Unfortunately, we gave away a few other Ws on the road earlier this year and took the L instead. Thankfully, we got this one. And Mike, I think the reason this one is so, so important, obviously with the road thing notwithstanding it in and of itself, it was so, so important that we won this game because winning this game, while obviously we don't lose the game. And if we lose the game, all of a sudden our back is to the wall. But now, now the Huskers have built a little ever so slight cushion to where we could probably go two and two and still probably play in Dayton in my mind. What we have like seven games left and we're talking about going five and two. Well, now we're, th- we're three and oh in those first, those first three games out of that seven game stretch. So I, I think, you know, as you mentioned, give ourselves a little bit of breathing room from the bubble. We talked about how, you know, the Huskers are kind of in a tough spot. We didn't have a ton of great opportunities for quality wins down the stretch, and we really still don't. You know, Ohio State's kind of hovering around a Q1 win. All you can do is win the games that are on your schedule, and if the Huskers continue to do that out of these seven games we had left, you know, we said five and two would would probably do it. We're sitting here at three and oh, so now, yeah, you're you're looking two and two will probably do it. Um, You know, three and one, I think it's a pretty secure lock to not even be in Dayton. So it's, it's a big game as far as metrics and, and, you know, tournament outlook looks, or it looks like. So a massive one. And we got four left. If they take care of business, I'm feeling pretty confident that uh, we'll, we'll avoid those first four. We'll be, you know, one of the last four buys and we'll be heading to the NCAA tournament. Whizbang Hoops says three takeaways. Jamarcus should never play point again in a good way. Congrats on his first 20 point game. Bryce Williams, he actually had 19, but that's okay. Bryce Williams was a massive calming presence, and we need CJ to start hitting threes again. And CJ has hit a little bit of a lull, but again, as we kind of talked about during his torrid January stretch, he was never going to maintain a 60% rate from three. So coming back down to earth, but I believe, I I have not checked this, I think he's still top 10 three-point shooter in the Big Ten, I believe. Uh, and then Mike two nine seven seven dot 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 so on and so forth says great road win and a great team effort. Fred Hoiberg is Big Ten Coach of the Year. And Mike, at this point, if Nebraska clears Dayton, in my mind, I don't know that you can give Big Ten Coach of the Year to anybody else but Fred Hoiberg. Yeah, I, I mean, I I'd probably you know what it doesn't matter what they do in the Big Ten tourney, but honestly, I don't even think it really matters the way that this Husker team, especially through the first four years, what this Husker team has looked like under Fred Hoiberg. To finally kind of have it all come together, get a couple big pieces through the portal. We talked about it before the season. You know, I think this is the closest team to what Fred Hoiberg's wanted his team to look like ever since he got here. Uh, and we're, we're seeing the fruits of that, right? So just seeing the improvement from last year to this year, I think it'd be hard to look at anybody else in the Big Ten uh, as, as far as coaching goes and say that anybody's got a better you know resume than Fred does. And not just that, but this team, again, as we talked about in the season preview, was picked 13th in the Big Ten. And we are sitting here at the end of February talking about the possibility of a double buy. Unbelievable effort by this coaching staff this year. 
Rounding it out, William Curtinbox says resilience when they could have completely folded, weathered the storm of the start of a second half when shots weren't going down. Biggest thing to me is no more talk about lack of a road win. How annoying that was, by the way. My goodness. Side note, last I checked, NCAA tourney is at a neutral site, i.e. the Sanford Pentagon versus Oregon State. So maybe a foreshadowing of good things to come here. And then rounding out the winner of our sweatshirt giveaway for the Indiana win, uh, Husker Adams says, checked an important box with this win. It sets up the biggest game of the year on Sunday against a team that punked us in the second half up in Minnesota. Can't afford to let down with all of our goals within reach. So want to thank all of you again for sharing your comments on the show. If you would like to participate in this section of the show, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod. We post a tweet at the end of every single game at the final final buzzer asking Husker fans, what were your thoughts on X win or X loss? Make sure to include your reply underneath that tweet to be entered, and we may use your comments on the show. So that being said, on the other side of this break, we will reintroduce a special friend of ours and guest of the podcast, T3 Bracketology. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. Okay, let's get into it. I want to welcome in T3 Bracketology for joining us here again on the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. T3, what is going on with you today? I'm sure your mentions are blowing up the closer and closer we get to Selection Sunday. Oh yeah, absolutely. Happy to be back, especially a day following a Nebraska win. That was an awesome game last night, checking off the conference road win milestone off of it so feeling good to, to be back on you're talking a little husker hoops we've been told that that was one of the big two checks uh left in our control to take care of so now that we got uh we beat a middling indiana team it's good to know that that's a big check mark for us so but t3 let's get into it so where does nebraska sit in relation to the bubble for you right now so in terms of their actual seed spot it's not a ton different i would say they're I'm still kind of working on as we speak. They're probably going to fall into the middle of the 10 seed range today. But I think the biggest difference from last night versus this morning is there's a gap that's formed now between that range, not even just Nebraska. There's teams like Nevada, Northwestern, Boise State. A lot of teams I'm sure Nebraska fans are familiar with because no matter who you look at, they're all hovering in that same general area. I think another one's maybe like a Texas is in there, FAU if they lose tonight, et cetera. All those teams are kind of flip-flop and playing musical chairs in the 9 and 10 seed range, and that's right where Nebraska sits. But the difference is, is not only did Nebraska check off the milestone winning on the road, but a lot of other bubble teams, Cincinnati lost to Oklahoma State, Providence beat Xavier, so Xavier's slim hopes are done. Providence was already in, so that kind of helps out a little bit. And just some other teams losing around the bubble too. There's really not that many teams left unless they all win out. And the odds of five or six of those winning out and even getting to that question is just very unlikely this time of year. So it sounds good for, for the Huskers is what it sounds like. That's good. Oh, yeah. And I know you mentioned a handful of other teams and speaking as a Husker basketball fan that has become familiar with those other teams, kind of the big thing on Husker basketball Twitter recently has been Bart Torvik's bubble rooting guide. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all. Um, I'm just wondering how accurate or helpful is that actually like, you know, if it represents our odds with a win or a loss, you know, maybe a, a Cincinnati loss helps our odds by 1%. Is that pretty accurate? Is that something that uh, we get doing a good job looking at? Or is there something else we need to be checking out? Yeah, I think I think that site does a pretty decent job. I don't love to get it down to an exact percentage. I like to play in ranges. One of them, it's a lot safer for myself. You get to an exact range and it's like getting a little bit crazy. But Two, I just think it's really hard to pinpoint because college basketball is so unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen one win to the next. Cincinnati is a great example. They're not in a great spot, but they're probably going to sit anywhere from barely next four out or maybe like ninth or tenth out after that loss last night. But the Big 12 is littered with opportunities, and they're probably going to be playing one of the earlier days in the Big 12 tournament where the committee still really hasn't met or they're in the early stages of meeting. Typically, those games count a little bit more just because they haven't they're still looking at metrics. If you get a neutral win, it's there's, it's still going to impact the quad numbers that they're going to be looking at. Whereas to get to Thursday and Friday, they might not even see that update because they're already talking about the teams, what it looks like on the Wednesday and Thursday. And Cincinnati's got great opportunity after great opportunity left in their schedule and in the conference tournament. So that can, that can adjust those things too. But I don't like to necessarily look at it to get back to your question of an exact percentage. It's just more of Nebraska helped itself out a lot. I, I would say that they now 100% control their own destiny. There is no need for help 
Or there was a little bit of that where when the road stuff was going on, if they had lost to Indiana, lost to Ohio State, and then they win the home games, and I think there's at Michigan on there, which is technically a Q2 road win, but it's against the worst team in the league. And that's the only one you get. It's like, well, maybe you could need some help, but you're still probably in. But like Nebraska controls their own destiny by not even having to win out, just kind of going through the schedule, winning the games they're supposed to. They won't need any help or worry about bid thieves. That only comes into play if, if they struggle down the stretch. And very, very similar to what we just talked about earlier in the podcast, Mike, about how that win at Indiana wasn't so important because of the win, but more important because we didn't lose, really, because then you're putting your back against the wall. So obviously a big win for us there. But you mentioned the Big 12 T3. How big would it really be for us in Nebraska basketball land if Kansas State gets a couple wins and gets back into Q1 territory? Is that something that we should be monitoring closely? I think just based on kind of the expectations, if we assume like a realistic Nebraska doesn't win out, they finish more like a three and one kind of as expected. Obviously they went out, it could be a little bit different, but I think the difference there is relatively minimal. It's still tracking as a, we'll call it a decently nice quad one, quad two road win in the non-conference, which is good. That's an extra bonus because they actually, one of Nebraska's biggest blemishes on the resume and really the only one that's left that they can't change is non-conference rank the schedule but they did something with the non-conference rank the schedule so they actually went out and beat a team on the road maybe you could still call them a bubble team probably not anymore i mean they have to win out get pretty far but the big 12's got lots of opportunities like we said with cincinnati I, but i think it could help maybe just slightly if they were to finish 4-0 maybe even a 3-1 and you could get yourself to like an 8 versus a 9 or a 9 versus a 10 if a lot of other teams around Nebraska also keep winning. Because none of these other games, other than maybe at Ohio State, because that's technically Q1, is really going to move the needle. It's just kind of like doing what you did last night, winning and winning convincingly to help some of those metrics get up even higher. But there's only so much you can do about the fact that I think Nebraska's 3-7 and seven combined away from home. Northwestern's in that same vein, but like those big 12 teams all have like 4 or 5. It's going to be hard to catch up to like a Texas TCU, teams like that that are in the 8-9 range, even Washington State, because they've been kind of given a lot of freebies in the Pac-12, but it looks nice for them. FAU, another good example. So it would help a, a little bit, but really only in like a tiebreaker standpoint, and probably more so if Nebraska goes 4-0, the difference between maybe even getting to like the 7 line. Awesome. Yeah. So you're talking about if Nebraska goes 4-0, um, yeah, do you, do you think like a seven line is the ceiling for this team? And then what's kind of like the worst case, you know, if they go like one and three or two and two, like what are the kind of range of outcome that the Huskers are looking at with these like last four games we have? Here? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we'll, we'll keep it to just the four games. And then obviously like once the conference tournament goes, cause it's hard to know all the iterations and then where would Nebraska actually finish? I think you could probably make the assumption if they went four and oh, you're, you are looking pretty good for a double buy. I think you're in fifth right now, if I'm not mistaken. So you'd think somebody else is going to drop a game just for playing like the odds. So 4 0, you're probably looking at double by. Even if you end up playing a team that's, which I think is just Michigan and maybe Indiana, that would be a, technically a Q3 neutral win. But you're playing it in the quarterfinals later in the week. It's probably not going to impact seed as much as if you do it on like that Wednesday instead in the second round if you're a five seed playing the 12, and that could be a Q3. But just for the regular season, I think if the perfect world, 4-0 finish, you're picking up a couple extra quad one and then quad two, technically with Michigan, it feels weird to say that, but a couple other road wins and the home wins most likely are going to be Q3 unless Minnesota or Rutgers gets themselves top 75, but I wouldn't hold out hope for that. It's probably likely that those teams are going to be more like Q3 by the end of their season. Maybe Minnesota gets a little bit closer, maybe Rutgers, but Q2, Q3, not going to move the needle a ton, but. I think you're you're definitely looking at a single digit, and I would say it's probably like the saying of home jerseys. My gut in that case for now is a seven seed. I don't think a six seed is out of the question because a lot of those teams look relatively weak and have tough schedules. But I think you're, you don't control your own destiny for a six seed, like we talked about for getting in. A lot of teams are going to have to struggle down the stretch. Nebraska has to go 4-0, definitely has to probably get that first. Big 10 tournament game, so there's not that extra like, oh, they lost to this team, we'll push into a seven. So I wouldn't really hold out hope for that, but I think seven's probably realistic for now. I think three and one, you're probably going to sit in a relatively similar range today, assuming that the loss is at Ohio State. So you're picking up wins that are like 
you know, maybe if a couple of them were blowouts, help some metrics, but your metrics are already looking a lot better, especially resume wise. They're in the thirties now, KPI and the strength of record. So I, I'm thinking that it's definitely single digits at that point. Nebraska's a lock. They go into the Big Ten tournament. You're not going to, even if you lose to an Indiana, Penn State, Michigan neutral, you're not exiting the tournament. It would just be back down a sleeve on if it's like that Wednesday. But you're definitely a lock at three and one. I would feel pretty certain that it's a single digit. It just might be in that eight nine game. But for Nebraska to get that, that coveted one win, eight nine game, and or seven ten is certainly good odds. It's all matchup dependent in that case. And then two and two, it definitely gets closer. I still feel like going into Big Ten play, Nebraska's probably in the field. It's just going to be closer. You're definitely looking like 10, and 10 or 11 seed. Still feel like because you got the road went off your back, like let's say it's one of the home games in Ohio State that you lose, and maybe the home game shifts up to Q2, and you're looking at something like 7 and 9, Q1, Q2, it's pretty clean across the board, Q3, Q4 losses. I'm, I'm still thinking that they're in and above the, the plan just because the bubble is starting to look a lot weaker. But obviously, if some of those teams, like the Big East, as an example, they decide that, hey, Providence and Seton Hall, we're actually the ones that are good. We're going to beat up on Butler and Xavier, and we're going to move into secure spots. Then they're going to end up jumping up into that 10 spot. And if Nebraska goes 2-2, two and two, you're not getting any wins that move the needle. Maybe it's down to an 11. But still definitely in the field going into the Big Ten tournament, and then you're just kind of like, Maybe not five bid stealers, please, which last year we literally had zero. Five's pretty unrealistic, but you're still looking around like maybe we're the sixth to last team in, so let's not get five and then someone else gets off. One and three, definitely probably last four in at, at best going into the the Big Ten tournament just because there's still a likelihood because those those two, assuming again, let's say it's at Michigan. Let's say they just fall off the face, three straight losses, then they win at Michigan. Because that's probably the, what is Michigan playing for? really what are they doing is doug mcdaniel even playing road games i don't watch a lot of michigan anymore so i'm not sure so it's it's just that's the easiest one or maybe it's like Rutgers doesn't know how to win away from home i'll say that they'll be purdue tonight we'll see but they usually don't know how to they're, they're playing better basketball minnesota's playing better basketball ohio state just need to get rid of their coach they're playing better basketball so ideally it's like you lose those three you get back in a win for michigan you probably go into the tournament and you're definitely playing one of those early days it's not a double buy just to feel safe, you don't want to drop a game to probably another bubbly team like Rutgers, Minnesota, et cetera, Iowa, maybe in that first game in the Big Ten tournament at one and three. Oh, and four, and it's that's obviously tough because some of those games like Rutgers and Minnesota could age better if you lose to them and they're not as bad. But I don't think it's asking for too much for a team that's like you're in a pretty good spot, just like two and two, you feel pretty good. One and three, I think you're going to need a win or two in the Big Ten tournament. Oh, and four. I think that's most teams that are in that range. Any of those teams, Boise State, Northwestern, Nevada, Seton Hall, Providence, any of those teams lose out probably. It just also doesn't look good if you think about it's human beings in the room. We're talking about, yeah, Nebraska looks good. They only had the one conference road win, and they finished the season losing four straight, and they only won one Big Ten tournament game, and it was against Michigan or something like that. Or it probably wouldn't be Michigan in that case, but it's like Iowa, who's an NIT two seed. Uh, that's not going to leave a great taste in their mouth and they're having the conversation. Even though it is a full body of work, still human beings, it's not a computer. So hopefully that helps at least give you guys a range of where things could go depending on how you finish. And then rounding it out, T3, if you're a gambling man, how are you projecting the Huskers to finish this year and what seed would you give them today? Yeah, so if, if I have to go and like make a decision right now, that's still what I'm evaluating tonight. But right now I'm saying a 10 seed. Main reason for that is there's just a higher better win percentage in Q1, Q2, and more Q1 wins for some of those teams that are going to get a nine. If you think about like one of the teams that's in the Big Ten, like Northwestern, their non-conference win is better against Dayton, and they have more combined quad one, quad two wins than Nebraska does, where Nebraska's best non-conference win is Kansas State, lower win percentage, less total wins, as an example, but they're probably like right on the cusp, and then same with like Boise State, Nevada. So I'm saying like a middle 10 seed, my gut says that you end up in the 8-9 game really is like a coin flip that depends on the Mountain West finish, Northwestern's finish, where do they go at? Because that's probably those two teams, you guys split them. It's very close. They have a better non-conference win. Both of the schedules are tough out of non-conference. Northwestern lost to Chicago State. So it's like, it's really going to depend on the finish here for that. But I my, my gut is that Nebraska finishes 3-1. and one. But I'm going to go off the rails and say they beat Ohio State because you're coming off a nice win. 
and they lose one of the home games, which doesn't make sense. That's my, which I don't, I think actually helps Nebraska more. And that's why I could see single digit. If you could pick one, if you're going to add a Q1 win, maybe you get the a Q2 loss if one of those two home wins goes better. And then just Michigan sucks. Like, I, there's not, there's no other way to put that in there. So just don't lose to, I'm sure they're going to win another game in there somewhere, but that one just feels like the, the one for sure. So I'd say eight, nine game, finish three and one. That's what I, I feel good about. Awesome. Well, thanks again, T3, for joining us. You are always welcome on the show. Tell, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at or Twitter slash X, guess the name changed, but at T3 Bracketology. That's the best way to find me also. As if the, the seed lists are also posted on T3Bracketology.com if you're not an active social media user. They're not out as quickly or as often as they are on social media on Twitter, but they, they are posted almost every update on the website too, T3Bracketology.com. So appreciate it and hope the, the Huskers can get in to the tournament and get that, that tournament win too. But long way to go for that. Let's just get in first, feel good about it, but I still got four games left in the schedule. Awesome. Well, thanks again, T3, for joining us. On the other side of the break, we will transition you into our Minnesota preview. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. Okay, Mike, we'll always want to thank T3 for sharing his thoughts on the team. It feels like the Huskers are in a better spot than they ever could have asked for here about two weeks ago as the bubble has softened a little bit and the Huskers have done everything in their power to build their own resume. So always, again, make sure, guys, if you want to follow T3, he is on Twitter at T3 Bracketology. He does a fantastic job with uh, constant updates, great graphics. He's one of our favorite followers on Twitter, so make sure to give him a follow and share the Husker love. And if you do go over there, tell him the Scarlet Shootaround podcast sent you over there. Uh, but outside of that, Mike, let's get into our Minnesota preview. They are 16-9 and nine on the year, 7-7 seven and seven in conference. Ken Palm has them as the 68th best team in the country. Net rankings, they check in at 76. As we sit here during recording, they are 8th in the Big Ten standings. Notable wins for the Gophers include number 16, Michigan State, at home, 59-56. to 56. Number 48, Northwestern, at home, 75-66 to 66 in overtime. And previously against Nebraska, number 38, Nebraska won at home in a heartbreaker for the Oscars, 76-65 to after blowing a big 16-point lead. Notable losses for Minnesota include number 143, Missouri, on a heartbreaker uh, on the road, 70-68 to earlier this year. Number 102, Indiana, whom we just played at Assembly Hall, they lost 74-62 to there earlier this year. And number two, Purdue gave them everything they could handle, losing 84-76 to on the road after leading by eight at half. So Mike, overall, Minnesota checks in uh, 10th in the conference in Ken Palm, 73rd nationally, 9th in conference in offense, and 70th nationally and 8th in conference on defense. What sticks out to you about this Gopher squad? I think the biggest thing that sticks out to me, we talk a lot about what the Huskers like to do on offense. And if you guys didn't know, Nebraska is the number one team in the conference in three points attempted per field goal attempted. So we shoot a lot of shots beyond the arc, which if you watch any games, shouldn't be too surprising. Well, here's the thing. We're actually number, we're actually last in, you know, giving up three pointers on defense too. We're last in the conference. So we're 14th in that. Minnesota is second in the conference in, in three point attempted per field goal attempted. So this one is going to be a lot of three point shooting. So don't be surprised if you see that. The other thing that uh, you know sticks out to me is they're first in the conference, second nationally in assists per field goal made. So they're really going to move the ball around. Obviously, I have a couple you know guys that we're going to mention here that you need to look out for, but they're going to move the ball around and try to find an open shooter and get a good look. So the Huskers have to be aware of that. Other than that, you know, their their turnover, they're prone to turning the ball over. We talk about their assist numbers, but their turnover numbers are pretty poor. Second in the conference in turnover percent on the offensive side. So, um, you know, if we can jump some passing lanes, good opportunity to get some takeaways and get some easy buckets on the other end. Uh, another team that's poor at f- shooting the free throws, you know, they're 13th in the conference on the free throw line at, sh- at 66%. So not great. Another situation where if they get the ball inside a couple of their bigs, good opportunity to foul them and make them earn it like we saw against Indiana. Yeah, Mike, this team, as you mentioned, they pass the ball like crazy. They're one of the top two teams in the country, not just the Big Ten, in the country in assists per field goal made. So uh, they're really moving the ball around that. Being said, as you mentioned, they do end up turning it over a lot at the same time. So the ball's really just flying around the court trying to find uh, body constantly. But again, Mike, you mentioned 66% from the line this uh, Golden Gopher team. That is only one percentage point better 
than what Indiana was able to put forth, and they were last in the conference. So very, very similar idea to how to defend this team when it comes to getting them to the foul line. But Mike, it all starts up top with their elite point guard, Elijah Hawkins, 5'11", junior, averaging 9, 4, and 8. That's correct, averaging 8 assists, shooting 37% from the field, 34% from beyond the arc. Last time against the Huskers, he had 12, 6, and 11, so a double-double in points and assists, so he did it the hard way. And Mike, he leads the nation in assists per game. This is a huge threat when he has the ball in his hands. Yeah, massive threat. You talk about last game. He was plus 22 for the Gophers last game. So not only is he getting it done on offense, but also does pretty pretty darn good job on the defensive end. But yeah, definitely somebody the Huskers are going to have to key in on. The problem is he's just so good at distributing the ball. It makes it tough. You know, if you stop him, he's going to find the open my guy. He's going to make the right pass. Uh, and a lot of the times that open guy is going to be, you know, a Dawson Garcia guys averaging 18 points, seven rebounds and two assists per game with one block, but uh, oddly very inefficient for a big guy. He shoots a lot of attempts pretty close to the hoop, but he's only shooting 46% on the season, but he is a, you know, one of their better free throw shooters at 81%. Uh, and he's prone to attempt a three every now and again, he's shooting 30%. I think he's only got about 60%, 60 attempts on the year. So not going to see it very often, but you know, those are the two guys that really stood out to me. You mentioned, you know, their assist god point guard in Hawkins. But Dawson Garcia, obviously, he's the big name. He didn't play against the Huskers because he got injured last game. You know, he played six minutes, had no points. So I'll be curious to see how the Huskers elect to defend him this game, assuming he's going to be able to play, you know, unlike last game where he got injured six minutes in. And Dawson Garcia as well, Mike, actually a little bit prone to the turnover, averaging 2.0 turnovers a game. So maybe not as secure with the ball as you like to see out of your leading score. Elsewhere down low, their center, Farrell Payne, a 6'9 sophomore, averaging 10, 6, and 1, shooting 62% from the field. Missed his only lone three-point attempt on the year. But Mike, what stuck out to me, 38% from the free throw line. Sub 40% free throw shooter. I don't know that I've ever even seen that in Power 6 basketball. He's averaging, uh, or I'm sorry, he had 12, 4, and 1 last time against the Huskers. He's strictly an inside guy and a very forceful rebounder. Elsewhere, a huge question mark on what's going to happen here. Those that watched the Minnesota game prior remember Joshua Ola Joseph, their 6'7 sophomore, averaging 9, 2, and 1, shooting 62% from the field and 41% from beyond the arc. He had 15, 5, and 2, and all five of those rebounds were all offensive rebounds. Now, the question here and what makes this so confusing as someone who's not plugged into Minnesota basketball, forgive me, He's played eight minutes or less in six of the last seven games. Now, he was really the forceful guy, again, with those five offensive rebounds that helped Minnesota get back into that game. Why he's got his minutes cut, I don't think. I did a quick Twitter search and doesn't doesn't seem the fans know much either. So huge question mark into what's going on there. But if he does play, Mike, he's proven that he can be a huge threat. I mean, it's, it's still someone... That obviously I hope the, the coaching staff is scouting and, and, you know, obviously his minutes have kind of been cut. He's not playing as much. But as you mentioned, a huge boon to them, five offensive rebounds last game. He scored double digits. So somebody we have still have to focus on. He's definitely got the talent uh, to hurt us if, if we're slacking off of him. One guy that really stands out to me, I mentioned how this guy or how this you know, matchup is going to be a lot of three-point balls flying. Their best three-point shooter, Cam Christie, you know, he's a 6'6 freshman guard, shoots 42% beyond the arc. So one of the guys that we can't lose uh, when they're swinging the ball around, can't lose Cam Christie. He's going to hurt you if you give him an open look. And my Cam Christie is currently 11th in the conference in three-point percentage, and he has scored in the double digits in his last six games. So a freshman really coming into his own, a la similar path that Eli Rice, as we've seen, has developed throughout the year. Cam Christie playing fantastic basketball this year, averaging 11-4 and 2 to this point. Elsewhere, their sixth man, Braden Carrington, a 6'4 sophomore, averaging 5-4 and 1. 36% from the field and only 22% from deep. But Mike, he had 13, 5, and 2 last time against the Huskers with three steals. This guy is easily the best gopher defender and averages two and a half steals a game in conference play. Yeah, I'd imagine they'd probably have him draped all over Tominaga. You know, I think you mentioned he's easily their best defender. And that three steal number in the last matchup kind of stands out to me. So whoever it is, whether it's Tominaga, Wiltshire, you know, Bryce Williams, whoever they have Carrington guarding, they have to be very secure with the ball. This guy's going to try to rip it away. And that's just something that the Huskers are going to have to be aware of. We talk about a lot about, you know, the two pillars, the rebounding and the, the turnovers. The last matchup these teams had, 
it was even on the rebounding. The Huskers lost the turnover battle by two. Uh, but the thing that killed us is giving up 13 offensive rebounds. So that'll remain to be seen if the Huskers can fix that uh, in the friendly confines of PBA. And Mike, the Minnesota Golden Gophers do everything they absolutely can to limit the three. They are 11th nationally and second in the conference in defensive three-point attempts per field goal attempt, but they are 149th nationally and eighth in conference in defensive three-point percentage. So uh, the teams that do opt to shoot threes against Minnesota seem to do well, but Minnesota doing everything in their possibility to make sure that they don't allow them. They thrive defensively with the ball inside, being fifth in conference in defensive two-point percentage and fourth in conference in block percentage. They'll give up some offensive boards. They're 184th nationally and 12th in conference in defensive rebounding. Obviously, the Huskers have shown that that's not one of our strengths, being 14th and dead last in the conference in offensive rebounding percentage, but maybe a glimmer of hope and a chasm of opportunity there for the Huskers. And Mike, ball movement can kill this team. They're 293rd nationally and 11th in conference in defensive assists per field goal made at 596 so maybe an opportunity for the Huskers if they can get the ball swinging around the perimeter uh, to get some easy buckets here against the Gopher defense. Yeah, I mean, I think the way the ball movement has looked the last handful of games has been really, really good. Um, and that gives me a lot of hope that, you know, the starting lineup that's, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, it'll look like they're starting to gel a lot better. If they can move the ball around and find the open guy, I think they have a pretty good chance to to get some open looks for three and hurt hurt the Gophers, you know, in a situation where they, they're going to try to run guys off the three. But if we can get some open looks, I think we got a pretty good shot to, to knock them down. So Mike Ken Palm has this one as a 76 to 70 Nebraska win and Torvik projects a 77 to 69 Nebraska win. So let's be a little conservative here and put it at Nebraska minus six and a half. Where are you leaning here? Um, it's a tough one because we really truly got, got bullied by this team in the second half up in Minneapolis. Um, and that was without their best player in Dawson Garcia. Obviously, obviously we've had a little bit of issues with bigs this season, giving up rebounds, things of that nature. Uh, and the Minnesota game is no exception to that. Uh, the first matchup that is. So it, it does give me a little bit of pause, you know, seeing, seeing the Huskers, have this similar matchup with, you know, another good big, a team that likes to shoot a lot of threes, the team that likes to prevent the other team from shooting a lot of threes. So they kind of match up well in that case. Um, the Huskers are prone to give up a lot of threes. The good news is they don't shoot very well from three. So it doesn't worry me too much. They have a few select guys you got to look out for. I think the Huskers are going to continue to win. I'm going to take the points in this case, though. I'm seeing a 73 to 69 final. Mike, very smart pick there. Good pick. I'm also going to take the Minnesota points. I think Minnesota will crash the offensive glass, which Nebraska's proven is maybe their kryptonite this year. I think good ball movement from the Gophers will hurt Nebraska's double teams, especially when they get it down to Garcia. There's going to have wide open looks uh, if Minnesota is able to find them, and they've proven this year being a top two assist team in the country that they are able to do that. But, Mike, I think they have enough shooters to stay in this game. And I think there's a little bit of a letdown spot for Nebraska after a big road win. I think Nebraska gets it done, but Minnesota covers the 6.5. I am predicting an 80-75 to 75 Nebraska win, mainly because of the Pinnacle Bank Arena crowd getting it done late in this one. So that finishes our Minnesota preview. We will get you out of here on the other side of the break. You are listening to the Scarlet Shootaround Podcast. Well, Mike, obviously that was a huge Indiana win and has really loosened up the joints and bones and soul of Husker fans everywhere, but you cannot loosen up against a Minnesota team that truthfully believes that they can come into PBA and get a win. Yeah, can't come into this one, you know, resting on your laurels, patting yourself on the back saying, oh, we finally got that big road win. You know, got to still show up uh, one game at a time. It's a big opportunity to, to keep the ball rolling, you know, go on a four-game win streak here, which would be huge for us down the stretch here as we talk about, you know, bubble picture and things of that nature. If you keep winning, your place on the bubble is pretty secure. And that's what this one comes down to, a huge opportunity to kind of keep keep our, you know, place in the bubble, keep our opportunity to go dancing, um, looking really good if we can pull out this win. But can't be getting too lazy, can't come out slow come out hot, get an early lead, um, and force you know Minnesota to try to play a little quicker than maybe they want to, and maybe we can get some turnovers and put them away quick. So tough matchup, big matchup. Excited to see what PBA looks like come Sunday. 
So I want to thank you all again for listening in to this version of the Scarlet Shoot Around podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at Scarlet Shoot Pod. I believe we've picked up close to like 50 followers in the last three days. So tons of new listeners. So I want to thank you all for joining there. If you haven't already, make sure to hop on Twitter and follow us over there. We post all kinds of things throughout game, live tweet the game, post any injury updates, any uh, verifiable rumors that we start to hear. Um, all kinds of good stuff over on there. So cannot encourage you enough. Make sure you follow us over on Twitter, on Instagram as well at Scarlet Shoe Pod, posting any pictures correlating to uh, the podcast and Husker Game Day uh, in PBA or elsewhere. And finally on YouTube at Scarlet Shoot Pod or just search Scarlet Shoe Round Podcast in the YouTube search bar as Mike posts the video podcast up there on a day or two delay as well. So big game here this weekend. Everybody want to sure again, make sure that we make this an unwinnable environment out in PBA this weekend. And let's cheer on these Huskers and welcome them back with a huge praise as they get this huge road win at Indiana and look to keep the momentum ball rolling for the big game against Minnesota. For myself, Blake, and co-host Mike, go Big Red. Go Big Red, baby. Thank you.